This is uh, Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth in our Tuesday morning Bible studies as we are continuing our discussion on angels. Last week we discussed that in almost every civilized culture, uh, anthropologically, that there has always been some form of celestial beings. Um, they have been used in images with wings. Some have uh, halos. Um, the, we've seen it literally in every single culture in one way or another. And we had this really great philosophical and theological discussion last week. And, and this week, I wanted to take opportunity to kind of talk about uh, where we find angels in the Bible. Because angels are uh, an interesting conversation when you start using the phrase biblical angels versus what it is that we talk about with angels in today's culture. Um, again, just to kind of point out a few things, some of the, the most important uh, conversations that we have with angels, we have to let go for our Bible study. Um, for example, Billy Graham's understanding of angels are going to be different than what's necessarily in the Bible. One of the things that I mentioned last week was that we have several different kinds of angels uh, throughout the Bible. You have cherubim, which are um, the soldiers of God. They're always portrayed with a, a flaming sword. They're the ones that have the two wings, uh, and they look the most human in form. Um, then uh, the second one that I always like to talk about are the seraphim. They're big balls of fire. They have six wings, two that cover their face, two to fly, and two to cover their genitalia, because in Hebrew, the word feet literally means genitalia. So, but there's not a, a human form. So that's always been interesting to me. And it's, it's an interesting conversation. Um, then you have uh, archangels, which are not ever named that except for one place in the book of uh, Revelation. And archangels seem to be angels that look fully human, they, uh, depending on where you are historically, can sometimes be portrayed as having wings, but most of the time they look fully human. And um, and just so that I help you with this, the the goal here with the 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 note taking is just all you got to do is write cherubim, seraphim, archangels, and then I'm going to give you scriptures. The scripture part's the part I want you to be able to have, so you don't. I don't want you to feel like you're in school. Um, so the, uh, and, and then there's this, there's these weird images of angels that we have that are like messengers that we never see. So there's this invisible angel that takes place. Um, one of those examples is uh, in the story of uh, Balaam and the donkey. And in that story, there's an angel that is keeping the donkey from moving, but does not ever make itself visible to Balaam until at the very end. And it's still not visible. He makes the donkey speak, uh, which is an interesting conversation. Then there's the angel that wrestles with Jacob and pops his hip out of place. And, you know, those you don't ever physically see them, but you know that they're there. Um, so those are the basic ideas of angels. Um in the, so I'm just going to stop right there, and then we're we're going to talk a little bit about Hebrew Bible um, practices. So let's let's go from there. 
in the in the Jewish world, there is nothing wrong with mysticism or um, a, a conversation of what God could be like. Um, actually, they they love that kind of conversation. They they like to ask the the what if questions. They uh, in the Jewish faith, it's it's something that guides their whole practices. The rabbi says, "Here's what we're talking about. What do y'all think?" And and they, it's a beautiful conversation. Um, and it's a lived out tradition, which is something we don't and really can not under truly understand. For us, we're very black and white uh, in the United States, especially. But in the United States, Christian understanding, we're very black and white. What does it say in the Bible? Give me the answer. The, the problem with that is the Hebrew Bible was never written that way. So when you look at it from a Christian lens, um, it it makes it complicated. It, it makes it's it's too hard to answer. You you think of the the creation story, right? For most of you growing up in Sunday school, God created the earth in in six days, and on the seventh day He rested. That's it. But we never read the second creation story. That's literally right after the first one. Right, in the first part of Genesis. And we never talk about that. Well, because that's that gets too complicated. In the Jewish faith, that's what makes it awesome. So that when God creates humans in their image, that's what it says in Genesis, that gives them conversation as to, well, who is there? What is what is that happening at that moment? Um and uh that's a cool thing for them. For us, no, no, uh -uh, we don't like that. It's a, another really good example of that is the Noah story. We we have to believe that Noah was an old man and that God approached him about creating an ark. And that in that moment, it was exactly so many feet, so many yards, so many, you know, however many stories it was. For us, it's very important. For, for them, that's not as important. The important part was human beings had fallen out of chesed uh, with God and they had become uh, corrupt so much so that they pretended to be God. And that for the Jewish culture, the Jewish culture believes that at that moment, God wanted to remind humans what it was like. And, and, it, and for them, everything that they design in the Torah, which is why I'm making a big deal out of this, everything that they design in the Torah is to answer questions about where we came from. Why are we here? What is it about us that makes us unique as Jews, as they would say? The Tower of Babel is one of my favorite what-if stories. What if human beings tried to get as close to God as possible, and they built this structure from the earth into the heavens? And as before they got close enough, God knocks it down and scatters these humans all over the world, which answers the question, why are there so many people from different races? And why do they all speak different languages? And why are they all different colors? Well, there was this one time that human beings decided they wanted to be like God, and, and that wasn't appropriate. You see, it's it's a beautiful way when you look at it that way. But I'm very I'm trying to be very careful when I say, when we start talking about this, that there are not black and white answers, which is why in the world of academia, they don't spend a lot of time on angels or demons because 
there's not really black and white answers in the Bible. There is the book of Enoch, which I've mentioned to you multiple times. That's a historical book, uh, a non-canonical book, which we say is not a part of the Bible. This book of Enoch was something that uh, almost every faith tradition in, in, under one God knows about. So there's a lot of assumptions made when you read the Hebrew Bible that are at attached to the book of Enoch because they read it and you haven't, if that makes any sense. It would be like me telling you all, uh, when you make chili, you use kidney beans, pinto beans, uh, you use tomato sauce, and you might throw in some onions and you put it on the pot. Well, you 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 make it, but your chili isn't anything like mine. It's because I assume that you're going to put some kind of meat in there. Does that make sense? That's what's happening a lot of times in the in as we read the Hebrew Bible, especially when it comes to angels. They just assume that you've read it or you know those stories. So, uh, with that being said, do we have questions? I was going to have one comment. Yeah. Uh, I think the way, the reason why, especially America, we're the way we are, was uh, when our country was founded, rationalism was such oh, a, yeah. a big way of thinking, like rational thought. There had to be a reason for everything. I mean, that's partly why, like, the Constitution yes. and the Declaration of Independence is so great because it's so rational of, of a document. And it's, it, you know, it's easy to apply. Like every question has to have an answer. That's right. To to for us, you know, in order to to go through life, and it sounds like when you talk about Torah, it's kind of like, well, you know, maybe we don't know all the answers, but let's talk about it, you know. Yes, that's a great analogy, um, Ted, because that's that's really why we struggle with reading the Hebrew Bible, uh, and especially the first five books. Uh, everything after the first five books, you know, after the Torah is done, you know, everything after that is more rational. Like they did this, this is what happened. And I would argue that that's not always the case because then you get to the book of Daniel where there's nothing rational about it at all or Ezekiel because there's like these crazy things, which we're going to spend probably one whole day on the book of Daniel and the conversations about Ezekiel's wheel and all of the celestial beings that are in there. It is going to blow your mind. Today, we're just going to start in the book of Genesis, and we're going to kind of work our way up to that point. But um, uh, so just to kind of start, we're going to start with Genesis chapter 14. If somebody wants to write these down so that I can. Uh, I will forget. That's my point. You want I'm, it on the board? Uh, yeah, I'll just let you all help me. Guide, guide, we'll, we'll do a self-guided study today. I have the index in front of me, but. I'll get I'll get rambling. Um, so to start off with, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 14. And the next one we're going to read is Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 40. 47. 66 and 67. Okay, again, Genesis chapter 14, 39, 40, 47, 66, 
67. Okay, so we're going to start off with, uh, we, we got to talk about, in this story, in Genesis chapter 14, there's there's a few things that we, we need, I need to bring you uh, up to speed on. So we're in the stories of, of uh, Abram and, and Sarai, or Sarai. Um. Abram has a, a relative by the name of Lot. And uh, the very first thing that we, we have about um, Lot is an introduction to um, a conversation that the Jewish world would have about hospitality. How does one live within hospitality to acknowledge the stranger? That's extremely important that you all hear. Um so you get an image of what you're supposed to do with Abram and Sarai, with these strangers, seeing them from a distance. Uh, Abram tells Sarai, uh, we need you to take care of all this wonderful stuff and get everything to go. Um, and uh, we're, we're going to get there. But the, the point of this story is, is that Abram gives us this conversation of what you're supposed to do in the name of God when you extend hospitality, the places that Lot ends up moving to uh, in so Sodom and uh, Gomorrah, they do not extend hospitality in the way that God expects us to. So uh, in chapter 14, uh, I'm not going to read all of this, but I'm, I'm going to just kind of point out of a few things. Uh, there's a there's a battle that takes place uh that's uh, really bad. Um, Lot somehow ends up living in Sodom um, the, uh, because they kidnap him. Uh, these kings that are in charge of Sodom and Gomorrah, they kidnap Lot. They take him to this place um, uh, and they take his goods and um, and 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 put him in, you know, name prison him basically so i'm i'm going to read i'm going to start reading at verse 13 of chapter 14 mainly because if you all want to read chapter 14 verses 1 through 12 you'd be you're more than welcome to the the names are really hard to say um but the the point of that verses 1 through 12 is, is there's a skirmish that takes place where abram's nephew lot has been kidnapped so verse 13 then one who had escaped came and told Abram that Hebrew, who was living by the terebinths or the oaks of uh, Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshkul of Aner, and these were allies of Abraham. When Abram had heard that his nephew had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and routed them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the goods and also brought back his nephew Lot with his goods and the women and the people. After his return from the defeat of uh, that place, 
and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shabbat. That is the king's valley. And King Melchizedek, this is important, Melchizedek ends up becoming uh, a name that we use later on in the Hebrew Bible as uh, as uh, as a as a priest which is an interesting thing it's uh the name matters everything in the hebrew bible the names matter so and king Melchizedek of salem brought out bread and wine huh sound familiar and he was a priest of god most high there it is ladies and gentlemen king Melchizedek of salem brought out bread and he find out that he was a priest of god uh, he blessed him and said, blessed be Abraham, uh, sorry, Abram by God most high, maker of heaven and earth, blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies in, into your hand. And Abram gave him, ladies and gentlemen, your first example of one tenth. Then the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord. God most high, maker of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal thong uh, or anything that is yours so that you might not say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me, Aner, Eshkel, and Imamre. Let them take their share. Now, uh, I'm giving you this because this is the foreshadowing of what's going to take place. So it's right at this point that God, in chapter 15, makes a covenant with Abram. In chapter 15, this is the time that says, if you follow me as the God Most High. And those really important, um, my Jewish study Bible starts the discussion about angels in Genesis on chapter 14. There was not one angel mentioned. But there was a priest who was not known as a Hebrew that worshipped God, the Most High. Broke bread and wine with him and blessed Abram on his journey. Now, do you remember that story? Ted's shaking his head, yes. Yeah. Because most of us remember chapter 15. God makes a promise to Abram and he says that your what? Descendants. Your descendants will what? Father of many nations. You'll be the father of many nations. Your ancestors will stars and yeah, number the yeah. stars in the sky and the sands of the sea. As long as you make me, you know, basically your one and true creator. That's why the Jewish study Bible starts because God was introduced to Abram before God made himself obvious or present in Abram's life by a, by a, by a stranger. And I know, I mean, we know nothing really about Melchizedek or anything from, or anything. we know nothing He's, about it's him. It's just there in the, in the story. That's why this is so important. So God made God's self known to Abram, Father Abraham, by a stranger. And then God makes himself uh, present and makes this chesed. Go ahead. Yeah, if Matthias, yeah, the male guy, if, he, if, he, if he's the king, 
of Sodom and he worships the one true God, how is Sodom so horrible? But that's not part of the story yet. Okay. So that's that's part of this the the discussion, the 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 discussion of how is it possible that the same person that introduces God to Father Abraham uh ends up the community that introduces this to them becomes so corrupt. We'll get to there. But and he's king of Salem, not king of Sodom. Oh, I said that's right. King of Salem, not Sodom. But that is still part of this conversation because he goes and gets them all out of there. Yep. So God makes the covenant in chapter 15 and there's a whole bad weird story in chapter 16 where God doesn't make just the promise to Abram and Sarah. He also makes the promise to uh, Hagar and Ishmael. Uh, that comes a little bit later. Um, so now let's talk about chapter 18. We're going to go to chapter 18 because uh, the Jewish study Bible doesn't have that in here, but we are going to read it. So, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, introduces God to Abram. God makes a promise with Abram and Sarai. Now his name is Abraham, which is important to notice that any time that someone has chosen to follow a life of God in a different way, your name usually has changed. You are no longer the same person. That's Paul. His original name was Saul. You know, this is this is a thing. Uh, it was a it was a normal Jacob. practice. Hmm? Jacob. Jacob now becomes Israel. You know, uh, Abram becomes uh, Ab Abraham, and Sarai becomes Sarah uh, or Sarah. Um, so here we go. In chapter eighteen. I'm just going to read it just because it's important. A stranger introduces Abram to God. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks again. There it is, same place. Of Mamre, as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day, he looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them, bowed down to the ground. He said, my Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may, since you have come to your servant, that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, make ready quick three me measures of choice flour, knead it and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is your wife Sarah? And he said, There in the tent. The one Then one said, I will surely return to you in the due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Uh, and now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, I have, after I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? 
The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and, and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, I will return to you in due season and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied saying, I did not laugh for she was afraid. She, he said, oh yes, you did laugh. All right, so here's an introduction. This is what I would call a, a messenger of God, a melech. M-E-L-E-K. M-E-L-E-K. These are messengers of God. And they always appear suddenly. They often are attributed to being angels. Um, when you read in the Gospel of Luke, for example... There are two men at the tomb, right? It doesn't say angels. It's that even in the Greek, it's not evangelion or angelion or any, any of that. It's it's two men. Mark, Luke, it might be Matthew, but either way, that's why I have Ted and Sally. But either one of them, it's two men that arrive at the tomb. I'll look that up real quick. Yeah, Ted will look it up for me. These Melik go out throughout history, especially with the Jewish culture, um, that there are voices of God or a connection to God. So what is it that we challenged here? What what was the point of Abram and these three strangers? What did he do? Think pragmatically. What, what is it that he did? He treated them like the long lost son that had come. Yes. Good. Hospitality. He showed hospitality. He gave him hospitality. He gave him a place to rest, to get out of the sun. Just brought him into their his to his house. Abraham brought the strangers into his house to to rest. Yeah. How was his uh, demeanor? I mean, it, it kind of says it. Like To me, I kind of felt like it was um, a little on the cautious side. You think so? You think he was cautious? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Okay. I mean, you know, like, I think he really wanted to know, why are you here? <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> you know, which kind of makes you, kind of makes you a little cautious. You know, am I bringing somebody into my house that's going to kill me in a, you know. That's interesting. So I, so I kind of feel like that Abraham was a little cautious. I don't, I think he was a friendlier guy. I don't know for some reason, but, you know. Uh, I'll go with that. There is this uh, part where it says he bows down to them. So I could, I could look at that as being both cautious and reverent at the same mm -hmm. time. It could be either or. And I never thought about it that way, Kim. That's cool. Or humble, very or humble. humble. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he, he feeds them, he gives them shade, he gives them water. Anybody else think it's kind of fascinating that, boom, they're, they're there. They've just appeared. Yeah, I think it's kind of fascinating that all this happened in what, an hour? Yeah. They, they made the bread and cut the lamb and... It, it was pretty fast. <laughs> fast food out in the middle of the desert. 
Right, right. So there's some weird stuff going on there. Okay, there's... so I have a family on the scripture. Okay. Um, I was teaching this lesson to the after-school kids when Sarah was still here, and I got to the part where the where Sarah uh, is this in verse uh, verse ten, the second part. Um, yeah. And Sarah was stand listening at the entrance of the tent. And just as I got to that part, Sarah stuck her head in the door. Oh, how funny! And the kids all turned to stare at her, and she went, and she started laughing. And says, "What?" And so it was exactly Sarah standing in the tent laughing. That's funny. Anything else that pops out at you? I really want you guys to catch. He washes their feet. Hmm. This is a thing. I want you to think about this in in a in an environment that people are struggling, being in captivity. I'm I'm making a complete and total stranger feel so safe that they take off their shoes for me to wash their feet. In Torah, when you welcome a stranger into your home, you are to protect them from enemies and they should feel so safe in your home that they should be able to take your shoes off and not be afraid of leaving. That's a big difference that we don't talk about. So when Jesus washes the disciples' feet, that is a part of Torah he wants them to feel safe enough in the midst of that upper room experience that they don't have to run away in fear of the Roman Empire at that moment. You see how cool this is? Sort of like the they're not going to leave until they're ready to leave. They're not going to have to get up in haste and try to find their, their, their stuff. They can relax while they're visiting. That's right. That, that's exactly right. This is this is how how deep of a story this is, and interestingly enough, this these three men, these Melik, are always attributed to being angels, because of the next part of the story that we're going to read here in a second. Interjection there, yeah. you were correct that the Book of Luke says two men. Thank you. We're at the tomb. Every That's once in a while, I do it right. Matthew says angels. But That's what Luke I thought. Said, man. We're really going to people come to our house and she put, invite them to put their shoes on. My mom has done that for my entire life. I know it sounds weird. It's supposed to make them feel like they're comfortable and safe. You know, my, uh, I don't know. I think it's a cultural thing that we are freaked out by feet. I mean, like it is a thing. Um, but there is something about this. Right? I sure brought in a lot of dirt. <laughs> I'm looking at the carpet underneath me right now. Well, that's why we have vacuum cleaners. <laughs> Maybe I should have. <laughs> I don't think so. Josh, yes, baby. Mine, mine points out that Abraham treats him. He acts like a servant to the three 
the three people because he does not eat with them. He stands and waits on them. Yes. Mm. Yes. That's also very important <laughs> to point out that this, that you are a servant to the stranger, which Jesus mirrors throughout his entire ministry. Right. So you, you could start to see why all of a sudden, if Jesus is living out Torah, which he does, he, you know, he breaks bread with Samaritan women. He, you know, he, he has all of these weird experiences that are feet washing and feeding and taking care of complete and total strangers. Most of his stories talk about uh, another person, not necessarily somebody that he would hang out with. Right. So I, I'm only pointing that out because there's there's an obvious uh jewishness in this story and i'm belaboring this story on purpose <laughs> because we have taught it wrong so let's go on to the next part oh wait good kim in the footnotes in my bible it says that um in abraham's day a person's reputation was largely connected to his hospitality oh yeah so that would be something that would carry you know, word of mouth, mm -hmm. somebody's stopping here and they go to the next wherever tent city and mm -hmm. talk to about what Abraham did to them and how hosp hospitable he was. And mm -hmm. we go on and, I mean, just perpetuate where in that area or territory important and know that what about his reputation. That's right. Is that go ahead, Pam. Robert and I went to a train um, thing one time and they had some examples of hobo graffiti and the hobo graffiti basically was telling you, you can go to this house for food or you can go to this house for a place to sleep or you can go to this house for a drink. Um, and that's kind of what you're, you're saying here. The, the big word of mouth carries on. This is a place you can, you can, you can stop and stay at. Yes. <clears throat> yes. Okay. I have a, a totally off the wall rabbit for our question. Okay. The washing of feet here, as opposed to the sitting at his feet in Ruth. Oh yeah, different, different. Yes, so different, <laughs> um, different word. This is actually feet. This is not that other one. This is not genitalia. Now. Uh, my Hebrew Bible professor always wanted us to go and make sure that it actually said that. So when we had to translate this part, we were very thankful that uh, that was not the case in this story. So. That's the case in other stories, though? I didn't realize that. Yeah, so when it says the word feet in the Hebrew Bible, about nine times out of ten, it's talking about uh, genitalia. Yeah. Yeah, there's and and uh, <laughs> for them that's not a problem. <laughs> for them, it's just that's another. That's yeah. yeah. That's in the other Bible. Yeah. So yeah, when when what Pam is talking about here, when Ruth puts her hand on Boaz's feet, <laughs> that that's I know that again you have not been taught this, but that's totally true. So. In this one, thank you, God, this story is about actually washing their feet, and there's nothing uh, 
weird or different there. So, but yeah, there is a, there's a thing in the Hebrew culture where uh, when I was talking about seraphim and it says two wings to fly and two wings to cover their face and two wings to cover their feet, they're literally talking about not their feet feet, but their genitalia. So it's a, that, that word is that other term. So um, it's a, yeah. So thank you, Pam, for pointing that out. Uh, I really appreciate that, uh, but it's true. You need to know that you need to know that because uh, in this, in this particular venture, that is not uh, the other one. Is that true for uh, what we call the New Testament? No. Okay. Good, good question. Just making sure. Cause... So anytime that Jesus washes their feet, right. he, he is. He is uh, I mean, I'll, he said the Bible. It's a legitimate question. Yeah. It's going to make us wonder when we start yeah. reading about yeah. Yeah. what we're really talking in, uh, about. So in the Hebrew Bible. In the Hebrew Bible. Okay. Look at the context. Of the story, I'm erasing and writing in the Hebrew right. Bible. There in the go. Greek, uh, no, feet is feet. They, they they gave us the terminology. So, okay, so. Uh, in my oh, defense, Robert told me to ask that question. I, I'm sure he did. <laughs> I'm sure he did. He will not be silenced. He will not be silenced. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's. Uh, we have we have enough time that I want I want to go on, onto this last part here on the. Uh, Chapter 18. So there's always a conversation in the Hebrew world about challenging human beings to do better. That's that's very important for me to mention out loud. So in the Jewish faith, you walk along this path and you're going to make stupid choices. So God challenges you to do better every single time. So I really want that stuck in your head. So Abraham has this beautiful moment of hospitality that he extends to these total strangers, treats them as if they're a, a huge part of their family. And then the strangers say to him, because you've done this, they don't say it, but it's obvious that this is happening. When we come back, Sarah will be pregnant. You know, so there's this whole conversation that's foreshadowing because we got to have that in order for us to have the other stories. But so these men, verse 16, set out from there and they looked toward Sodom. Now, Abram, I'm sorry, Abraham knows that Lot and his family have moved there, went with them to sit on their way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am to do? seeing that Abraham shall become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of earth shall be blessed in him. No, for I have chosen him that he may charge his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, how great is the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah and how very grave their sin. I must go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Okay, so just pause for a second. This, does anybody think that this is a little weird? Have you ever heard God speak 
out loud to himself. It's like cre creation. Yeah, there's a creation component to this. This is God thinking out loud. That's not how we normally read this. We normally read this and we just kind of move on. In the Jewish faith, they're very comfortable with God talking to God's self. Right? They're very comfortable with that. We're not. That's a black and white problem. We don't, we don't like that. God speaks to the Holy Spirit. In the Jewish faith, no, no, no. God talks all the time. Kind of like the God in, uh, in Fiddler on the Roof. Yes. Yes. He does a really good job of this. God talks all the time. We just don't listen. So, right off the bat, he says, uh, I'm going to do this. And so he goes, how great is the outcry, Sodom and Gomorrah, and how very grave their chata. That is the word chata. That is, the, they're missing the mark. They are playing the role of God. Uh, remember, sin in the Hebrew Bible means any time that you play the role of God is the best summarization I can come up with. But it's it literally means to miss the mark. How great is their sin? Uh, well, they 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 are not doing the things that I have asked them to do. So we start in verse twenty-two. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. While Abraham remained standing before the Lord, then Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? So evidently, Abraham has heard this. That should be weird. Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not forgive it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous fair as the wicked <clears throat> far, far be that from you shall shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just and the lord said oh wait a minute ladies and gentlemen abraham and god are having a conversation did you notice that the men left so now abraham and god are having this conversation not the men again also how we've taught that is is that the men are having this conversation with abraham not he and god Believe it or not, I've seen it in Sunday school material. And the Lord said, verse 26, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will forgive the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered, Let me uh, take it upon myself to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose... Five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him. This is this is okay. In the Jewish faith, this is totally fine. You can have conversations with God. This is, this is no problems. For the sake of, uh, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, well, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, do not let the Lord be angry if I speak. I love this. Suppose there are 30 around there. There's 30 there. He said, let me, uh, he answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, let me take it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, 
For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, do not let the Lord be angry if I speak just once more. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way. When he had finished speaking to Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. Now. Let's make a deal. So that's exactly what was going on. So now we get to Genesis chapter 19. Two angels, and this is the word angels, came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. Sound familiar? Just like his uncle. He said, please, my lords, turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you can rise early and go on your way. They said, no, we will spend the night in the square. But he urged them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. But before they laid down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, and all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may know them. Now, that is, uh, when it says no, that, that means to overpower. Uh, we would use this word as rape. Um, so this is, we we want to know them. There is no word in the Hebrew Bible for rape. So this that's part of the problem. But they would know this as overpowering. So Lot went out of the door to the men, shut the door after them, following Torah. If you in, if you invite a stranger in your house, your job is to keep them safe from outsiders and aggressors. And said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so weakly. Look, I have, this is where it gets nasty. Look, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Let me bring them out to you and do not, and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they replied, stand back. And they said, this fellow came here as an alien, and he would play the judge. So now, now notice that the, the script has switched. You are living as a stranger in our place, Lot. And you are telling us what to do in our home. Then, now we will deal worse with you than them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near the door to break it down. But the men inside reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the door, both small and great, so that they were unable to find the door. Okay. So, again, we've always taught this story in a different way. I'm not going to go into a whole lot of details because what's what's happening here is Lot extends hospitality to these strangers that are obviously angels, but he only sees them as men. So it doesn't really matter that they're angels. The Hebrew Bible just wants you to know that they're angels. Lot brings them into their home like he's supposed to. He begs them not to go out into the streets because obviously it's not safe. Um, and so, just like Torah would tell you, you bring people that are into your home to keep them safe from 
outward aggressors and things of that nature. Um, again, this is not how we teach this story. There's, there's this story goes off into different ways and uh, 18th and 19th century uh, conversations of theology, but in the Hebrew Bible, the thing that got broke here uh, was is the, the community did not extend hospitality. Remember the conversation that God had with Abraham. If they, as a city, cannot do what I've asked them to do, then I'm going to destroy them. And you've already been given what that is, which when we read at the very beginning of this conversation, a stranger extends God's grace to uh, Abraham or Abram. Abram then extends God's grace and hospitality to complete and total strangers. Now those strangers are going to another community and that community is being tested just in the same way that Melchizedek was, that Abram was. And now uh, Lot has passed the test, but the community has not. And so therefore, based off of what God had the conversation with Abraham, Sodom is no longer going to make it. Now, that I want to know them and all that other stuff, that, that's just showing you how depraved and how power hungry they were that they wanted to play the role of God. Remember, well, you don't remember. Some of us haven't had this conversation. In every aspect of the Jewish world, they have been under captivity. And in every anthropological understanding, there has been an understanding of the powers in charge would rape those that were in leadership to show and to diminish their power in front of the whole community. So this is something for them that means something completely different than that to us. So if you're reading this for the very first time in Genesis, to them, this is, well, this is normal behavior. The Syrians have done that to us. The Babylonians have done that to us. The Persians have done that to us. It's, why is this any different? We've extended hospitality to them. And yet what, what do they do? They take and pillage and they rape our women. They take our children. They do all of these horrible th things. What else is new? Why isn't God destroying them also? That's the question. And how is it introduced? By angels. It's kind of amazing how uh, Lot is, I mean, willing to risk his own safety to protect these angels who could clearly take care of themselves. If, and they that's do right. uh, in the story. But well, in, wow. In Torah, that's what you're supposed to do. If you allow somebody to come into your home, they become your family. Mm -hmm. They're your responsibility. Again, we don't teach that very well when we talk about the Hebrew Bible. We talk about it. Well, that just happened, and this is where this goes. But I want you to think about that extended radical hospitality. That you invite a total stranger in your home, that they're able to sleep at night knowing that you will fight to the death to keep them safe. You are a part of their family. Do you see how weird that is when you start talking about Jesus's conversation about the good Samaritan? Or when he's talking to the Samaritan woman and the disciples get mad at him for talking to a Samaritan woman? You see, that radical hospitality is what we're talking about here. Now, uh, as a culture, we've modified this conversation, but in the Jewish faith, 
these angels are the vessels or, as I said earlier on, the melech or the messengers of God. And we all see them as humans. We see them as human men. And they walk amongst <laughs> us, challenging us to do better, to be better. Can I ask one question? Yep. I know we're getting close to the end. Uh, you say melech is the word for those men. And it sounds a lot like Melchizedek. Is there a connection between that? You know, no. sometimes things sound the same. And, yeah, no. So it's not Great necessarily, question. you know, because that would make me think, wow, he was sort of a yeah. precursor of our understanding of angels or no. something. All right. I don't want to connect any dots. No, it's, I'm, I'm really glad you asked that question. So in, in this case, the word Melech is is very clearly different than, than Melchizedek. Spelled completely. The only thing that's the same is M. And then everything else is different from that point on. <laughs> but it started with M. That's okay, right. There we go. Yeah. So that's right. Okay, another rabbit trail, Josh. Okay. Um, Torah. The 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 King of Salem introduced Abraham to monotheism. The angels helped him to become a leader. He's promised to be the whatever. Torah hasn't been written yet. So That's is right. Torah based on Abraham's life that we have later? He is the example that they're trying to live up to? Yes. Or, okay. Yep. You caught it. Yeah. So this is this is the, before we started the discussion this morning, somebody asked me, well, was Enoch a real person? And the answer is, sure, I think so, maybe. Um, this, 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 uh, this becomes the, this is who we should be like. Abraham becomes the father of our nation because God said so. And obviously his name has been passed on from for a long, long time. And I, this is that time I always like to say as we kind of come close to the end of the recording is it's important to remember that they had the rules before they wrote the creation story. This is why you have to do this. Uh, you have to extend hospitality. Why? Well, because let me tell you the story about Lot and Sodom. Let me tell you the story about Abraham and or uh, yeah Abraham and and the three strangers. Let me tell you the story about uh, Melchizedek and Abram, because Torah says this. Genesis, I mean, uh, Deuteronomy and Leviticus say this. This is why we do this. So it's an answer to a question. So it's always written backwards. And Abraham had Torah in his heart. Basically, right? I mean, he yeah, he, he just lives. He in. had no written Torah or anything to go That's by. Right. He was just following God, but he was in line with the Torah. Mm -hmm. Okay, once more. There were yeah. three men that came to Abraham's house. There you go. They left, and and Abraham has a conversation with God, and two men arrive in in Sodom. That's right. So was the third one the messenger of God that had the conversation with um, Abraham about um, the let's make a deal? I I think um, I think the number is just kind of kind of arbitrary. I think uh, they sent one off to go get some Starbucks. That's possible. Because Starbucks was actually in the stars at the That's right. So, in this, in so the stars. Just, that's right. It starts with S. That's right. 
when I was there, Starbucks uh, is called Stars and Stripes there. And it still really? has the same image. Yeah, totally uh -huh. serious. Yeah. yeah, there was a Starbucks in that whole area. So so I, I would say uh, I think the number is arbitrary. There, the In the Jewish world, the Lord speaking is the Lord speaking. Like, so Abraham might be the last person that gets to hear God's voice with the exception of prophets. Prophets hear God's voice. So uh, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. This is that Jewish mysticism we were kind of talking about before. For them, this is okay. They're, they're fine with that. Uh, we, we as Christians love that black and white. Well, there were three here. Now there's two. What happened to the third one? Well, we in the Jewish faith, yeah. he probably, as Ted put it out, went to go get Starbucks. When I said it's about the story, it's not about the details. Right, right. In the in the in the Hebrew Bible. Yeah, I'm thinking back here when it was 318, whatever it was, people or whatever it was. And I was thinking, how did they did they count them? Yeah, that's that's important to notice so, too. Yeah, I, that's why I just kind of gloss over those things. Like when you start naming all the kings and all the communities, my Hebrew Bible professor would say all of those matter. And I'd be like, okay, cool, uh, but what's the story? You know, what's the story but, of this? Josh, it says in 16 that the men set out from there and they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham is with them. Okay. Yes. And it says the Lord says. So I guess I assumed that one of the three was the Lord and he and Abraham are talking and the other two go down there well i don't know that's two yeah I, I don't know because it it says they start out but then the lord starts talking to abraham so i guess i assumed i guess i'm gonna say it that way that the third man was god and he didn't go down to some. Yeah. I don't know. I, I would probably say that's a cool idea. <laughs> I like the idea. I think that is a very cool Midrashic idea, Betty. Which would be exactly what, how they would teach it. Okay. So... But it doesn't say one way or the other, so no. we don't know for a fact. But I, it is sort of interesting, too, because it's just, and then the Lord said that, you know, so like, is Abraham like, hey, guys, thanks for coming for my meal and everything. Like that. Should I tell Abraham about this? Now? Yeah. You know, or is he looking around, yeah. you know, the sky? Or, yeah, no, this is a is perfect, it, perfect is it moment. is it that third man just talking? You're like, should we tell, should I tell him what I'm going to do? Yeah, right there off the side, and Abraham's just overhearing. We don't know. So I'm going right. to go ahead and stop the recording. We're ending with a question. <laughs> yeah. which is exactly how the Jewish faith would want us to do.